You get a lot of great ministry in this church. Some of you, of course, may be visitors. R.T. Kendall, your own pastor. And uh, not an easy sort of pulpit for, you know, character like me to stretch into, step into. But somehow, I'm here. God uses all kinds of people. And I just thank the Lord for his grace and his mercy. But it's very hard when you're getting a lot of ministry. We're all on information overload. You know, I have 5,000 Facebook friends. And uh, now we got Twitter. I'm under pressure to become a twit. And uh, we got YouTube. I've got, there's at least 40 George Verwer YouTubes out there. You can watch me, even my new exercise program in the jumbo jet toilet. I mean, it's bizarre. And I may have told you last year, this big merger that's coming. Um, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, it's going to merge. Have you heard this? Bill Gates is upset about this merger. It's just too big. It's going to be called You Twit Face. <laughs> you haven't heard that yet. Anyway, for any of you who are new, that's a joke. So we'll try not to tell too many uh, in this morning. You know, this is a religious meeting. We need to be careful. It's good to be able to have Jesus without too much religion. Yeah. Religion is hindering more people from coming to Jesus than almost anything I can think of. More than alcohol, more than drugs. You get a little bit of a vaccination of Christianity to keep you from the real thing and the reality of the Holy Spirit of God. So I know you're not going to be able to remember much of uh, what I say. I was here a year ago. How many even remember me being here a year ago? Raise your hand. Whoa, how many remember my number one story? The thunderstorm story. Maybe I didn't tell it. I better tell it. I got it from Tony Campalo. This might be the only thing you remember from this morning. It's so, it's so, it's so powerful, the lesson. There was a family in the thunderstorm. It was so bad. The lightning was so fierce. The adults were nervous. And then they remembered their little seven-year-old daughter is up alone in her bedroom. They ran upstairs. They opened the door. And there she is looking out the window. Boom! Another flash of lightning. <clears throat> they said, are you okay? She said, I'm fine. I think God is taking my picture. <laughs> Hallelujah. God is taking your picture. He loves you. And it's wrong that some of you don't have a healthy, godly love for yourself. It's wrong. So many, even that I'm involved in counseling, they put themselves down. I'm not spiritual enough. Why, God is using this person. He, you know, he can't use me. I still have this, this bad habit that I'm afraid to tell anybody about. I'm just praying this morning with all my heart, God is going to set many of us free as we Understand his love for us. Giving his only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sin so that it's all paid for. That's radical grace. Who can ever understand that? And I share my own story. I'm not from a Christian family. My grandfather came from the Netherlands. Over here, just across the water. I'm sure some of you have been there. Over here. And uh, my grandfather, who came to New York City with my dad, was an atheist. My other grandfather was Scottish, Irish, and English blood mixed, huh? That's basically toxic. He was a drunk. My grandmother divorced him. So that's my spiritual background. And at 16 years of age, I was 
what Chris Rio, the pop singer, says in one of my favorite songs, I was on the highway to hell. But I was happy. I was enjoying life. Lots of different girlfriends, nightclubs of New York. I had my own business, making quite a lot of money, doing pretty well in my studies, headed for university. Great time when a Holy Ghost meddler came into my life. Watch out for these people. You might be actually sitting next to one. A woman of prayer. She put my name on her Holy Ghost hit list. Yeah, serious. She started to pray not only that I would be saved, she prayed that I'd be sent. Saving and sent. Probably didn't want me around anymore. She prayed that I'd become a missionary, huh? She didn't even discuss this with me. I had other plans for my life. And then she sent me a Gospel of John. We have a lot of Gospels of John on that table to give you free of charge, dedicated to this woman. We could send you a lot more. And I began to read this little Gospel at the same time the enemy, I think, was out to take me over. The Bible says he who commits sin becomes a slave to sin. I was committing a lot of sin, and I think I was moving into slavery. And pornography started to come into my life. And so I'm reading this gospel, and then I'm looking at this magazine, and the battle was going on. And I thank the Lord for a godly Christian businessman outside New York City, gave a bus into the city for a one-night meeting of Dr. Billy Graham. Somehow, I went to that meeting. I, I had this gal. I thought maybe she could use some of this. I was totally wild over her. She didn't even know it yet. And so I took her to this Billy Graham meeting. We sat as far away as we could. I heard he was a hypnotist. So I'm, I'm watching with my binoculars. What's this Billy Graham character going to do? And I heard the gospel. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. And if you're a visitor here this morning, you're not sure what this is all about, that's the core. That's the core of what this is all about. And I've been coming for the last 50 years. In fact, this church is very historic for me because this is where I met a man who was the influence of my life, Dr. Francis Schaefer. He was lecturing here, uh, I think in the 60s or maybe early 70s, this man to, who helped so many atheists and agnostics come to Christ. So many people who were losing their faith went to Labrie in Switzerland through this giant intellect, sociologist, theologian. Some of you have seen his films, not so well known anymore. And he was, uh, he didn't come to London much. He lived in Switzerland. He was right here ministering to people for many churches. And we had a, a walk together, became a longstanding friend. I was he died 30 years ago, and his wife only just died last year. I was at the funeral in Switzerland. She was almost 100 years of age. The books of Edith Schaefer have helped perhaps more women, especially back in those days, than almost any other books. So that night, I heard the gospel, and I believed on Jesus. And if you're a visitor, if you're not understanding what this is about, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. You may not ever come back to this church again. We hope you do. But you'll find all over the world, not hundreds of thousands, there's at least a million churches in the world today that are preaching basically the same message we preach here. God allows a lot of variety for different churches in different situations. I preached in a church uh, in India last time I was there, 70,000 
in that one church. They can only handle 22,000 at a time. Now, everybody in that meeting was an Indian. They never had a non-Indian speaker. And so that's quite different from this great international gathering with people from all over the world. But it's the same God. It's the same Holy Spirit. This phenomenal growth, phenomenal growth the church is experiencing in China, hundreds of thousands coming to Jesus. The phenomenal growth of the church in certain parts of India, the huge growth of the church south. These are, these are among the top 40 unreached nations, Maratonia, Mal, Niger, Chad, hardly anybody going there, yet there's an open door. But south of there, the church is just exploding. So around the world, there's probably a million people. I mean, a million churches where people are worshiping. I say this to any visitors in Cape you think this is some little, you know, special, unusual group. Some people in places like Switzerland, they're trying to say this is a cult. All oh, this kind of thing is a cult. <laughs> they especially say that in Russia. I've just come back from Russia. This is no cult. This is mainstream what the Holy Spirit is doing in the world today. And I'm privileged to be a part of it. And it started, it started that night, March 3rd, 1955. I think of how people are going crazy to find the fulfilled life, to find the happy life, and all these different terms we read about in the newspaper. I can share without any exaggeration that from that day to this day, I've known the fulfilled life. I've known the happy life, not in the absence of stupidity and mistakes and sadness, because as Christians, we learn how to embrace sadness. But in the midst of all those things, rejoicing in Jesus and knowing the fullness of his Holy Spirit, including, yes, the gifts are important. The fruit, I believe, is more important. If you have the gifts without the fruit, you have a circus. And so God gives us the fruit and the gifts, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. That's been my daily blessing through the reality of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Never had a boring day. So many young people today, they're bored stiff. That's why they try drugs. They try alcohol. I've never had a boring day. I've had up to a boring hour. It's very difficult. Now at my age, my wife and I are asking God for a boring hour. She especially is praying for that. I remember years ago, my wife looked at me and said, looking at you makes me feel actually quite tired. So my wife is tired right now. Maybe you could pray for us. She gave me three wonderful children, five grandchildren. My grandson, who moved to America with his father, had about as much spirituality as a sleeping flea. And yet he got recruited onto our ship. I don't know how Jonathan ever got on that ship. I don't know whether he lied on his application. I never really asked him. But going through the orientation conference to join the ship, he heard a message on the importance of Bible study. And so he began uh, to study the Bible. Excuse me a minute. When he got to the ship, he saw people. He worked in the engine room as a welder. I think that's one of the reasons he got accepted. Ships need welders. And he saw men living the life, and it impacted him. And then in his own room, he heard a, a strong sermon. Search your heart. Do you really know Jesus? Is it all just in your head? And God convicted him. He ran into the prayer room on the ship, 
I think it was sailing from uh, Denmark over to Scotland at that time, quite a few years ago, and he was just saved, and I believe filled with the Holy Spirit. We don't even understand all that happened in that prayer room, but Jesus took over his life, and I saw my own grandson transform. After two years on the ship, he worked and traveled with me for six months. Then God gave him the ship prize. The ship prize, if you're faithful, is a wife. God gave him a Swiss wife. He's living in Basel, studying theology by extension. How many of you, you all look so young. Any of you have grandchildren? Raise your hand. Anybody have grandchildren? A few of you. Yeah. Aren't they wonderful? Yeah. That's God. Tony Campalo says, grandchildren is God's prize to you for not killing your own kids. It's quite, quite amazing. I don't think he got that from the Bible. So what are you going to remember a year from now? Well, the main thing, of course, is to take a step of faith. I'm going to give a call at the end of my message for people to take a step of faith. But I hope you'll also remember what I call seven George Burwell words. Not really my words, but maybe if you're writing a few notes or you've got your laptop or your phone, you could just put down these seven words. If a year from now, and by the way, you can get a lot of books today, fill up your bag. But a year from now, if you send me these seven words, you can easily get my email. I read every email personally, sometimes seven, eight hours a day in prayer with email, especially flying, as I will, to the United States on, on Tuesday, and then down to South America. Lots of prayer time on the airplanes. And uh, if you send me those seven words, I'll send you either seven books or seven films or seven music CDs, whatever you want, or a mixture. So you get these seven words. Word number one is unreached. I want you to remember that word. Some of you already do. Unreached. People that have never heard. I'm not talking about people that are not saved. There are people not saved who have been reached and rejected. So when I use the word reach, I'm talking about a Jesus DVD. I'm talking about a track like you can give at this great uh, festival coming up, one of the largest in the world, right here in this area. So we, we sometimes refer to this as minimum evangelism. In other words, we're not saying that's, that's much. We're not saying it's enough. Hudson Taylor, that great pioneer of China in the mission, said if giving the gospel once is not enough, what do we say of never giving it at all? Unreached. We want you to pray, the Lord of the harvest, to send people out to unreached people. Now, there's two ways to understand this. People or nations, biblically, are ethnic groups. They have their own language. A lot of the nations we have today are artificial nations. Of course, God can handle that. So I always speak about both. There's 40 nations that I consider completely unreached. There's hundreds of people's groups, even in nations where there are lots of Christians who are unreached. You study this. Pick up Operation World or my own book on missions. Uh, I think there's a few left called Out of the Comfort Zone. And it'll help you understand what I'm trying to say. And so I'm asking on the basis of Matthew 9. Remember the harvest is plenteous, the workers are few. On the basis of Matthew 9, pray the Lord of the harvest will send forth workers. Would you pray? For Somalia? Would you pray for Saudi Arabia? Would you pray for Tibet? 
Would you pray for North Korea, the Maldives, Bhutan? Would you pray for Libya and Tunisia, Morocco? Would you pray for Mali and Niger? There are some of these countries, they're open doors. Others, you have to go as tent makers. You take your career often to the field. It's a whole different world, Global Missions Today. Many, a, a greater variety of ways that you can go. We get people who go to Kabul, Afghanistan as students. When they're there, they discover they're slow students. It takes them years and years and years to finish the course. Meanwhile, they're an ambassador of Jesus Christ in one of the most unreached nations of the world. My second word is the word limitation. As soon as we get big challenges, there's a danger that we will just suddenly grab off more than we can chew. I don't like the expression, but. So I think whenever we're inspired, we're going to reach Afghanistan for Jesus. We're, we're going to do the impossible, even in our own situation. We need just a wake-up call that no matter how filled we are with the Holy Spirit, we are very human, and we are subject to human stupidity. I thought for a period of my life, I was going to become the vice president of the stupidity club. Fortunately, others got the position. When I first came to Europe, I was so gung-ho. I didn't understand the whole thing of limitation. I didn't understand prayer that doesn't really get answered right away. It's good some of my prayers never were answered. And I was living in Spain. I had no plans for Great Britain or Western Europe. My vision was Afghanistan, Muslim world, communist world, closed countries, challenging people to go to those places. I didn't know how it's all going to work out. I was young. I was foolish, just married. All kinds of complexities in the marriage. Nobody explained to me what, you know, marriage was about, that she would, like, need some money. My money's all for Bibles and for world evangelism. So we're living on the floor in the back of a bookshop uh, that I just opened in Mexico City. I'll actually be there next Saturday. And uh, she had accepted this key verse before the wedding, I, this verse out of Ephesians, submit to your husband as unto the Lord. And uh, so she just did everything I told her. And so the marriage uh, was, was great <laughs> for several weeks. <laughs> Then she read these other verses. <laughs> Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's a tough one. And then she began to express her own opinion. <laughs> and so we had a few problems. By God's grace, we picked up that little book, Calvary Road. And we read the chapter, Revival in the Home. And God just broke me. He exposed my male ego, my male chauvinism, my impatience, my super spirituality, and other extremes that were, that were sort of cooking in my life. And we've known 54 years of revival in our home by the grace and the mercy of God. Yes, it's possible. It's possible. And I began to realize I'm one limited human being. And uh, all of my prayers are not going to be answered because... God has created this whole planet and given free will. And with that free will, we have rebelled. We cannot blame what's going on in Syria to the living God. We cannot get discouraged if God doesn't intervene in a way that we're dreaming. Though, let's keep praying. Because even prayer will not break God's covenant concerning us. Created beings 
with free will. And a lot of people struggle with this. Even lose their faith struggling with this kind of thing. Especially when they just start praying the most wild prayers because they feel that's the way of faith. One biblical principle like faith, which I fanatically believe in, has to be brought into balance. I only share on this right now, these few moments, because I don't hear many people talking about it. A theology of limitation. And God showed me how to somehow move in harmony with what the Holy Spirit was doing in my life and in my marriage in the midst of my own weakness. His strength is made perfect in weakness. His grace is sufficient. You know those verses from Corinthians? Among my most favorite verses. The third word you may not have heard before because I invented it myself. Messiology. Remember that from last year? Messiology. Not missiology. That's a proper word. Missiology is about missions. That's a book, Missiology. Here's a book, Missiology. But the last chapter that I wrote, Messiology. Embrace it. You don't have to embrace the word. Embrace the concept. God works in a much wider range of ways than we can comprehend. He works in churches that we don't like and we're not going back there. He works through television speakers that we can't stand and switch him off and go listen to Elvis Presley or something more sane. God works in an amazing way in a huge, huge range of people. It's always hurt me in different countries when someone drives past a church, go into their church and they say, oh, that church is dead. I found out sometimes that it was true. Other times it wasn't true. It wasn't dead. It was different. It was different. Some people who like to express themselves like me with a little noise and a shout and a jump and a leap have difficulty understanding churches where everything is quite quiet. That's not my preference. God works in quiet places. God works in noisy places. I ask you to embrace Messiology. How can you explain why God was doing so much in South Africa during apartheid? God should have stopped working, especially among the white people, until apartheid was gone. And why did God bless 200 years of segregation in the United States? An abomination. I've just seen the film, The Butler, one of the greatest films I've ever seen. And my heart just grieved at the sinfulness of that nation where I was born. And yet God was working in a phenomenal way in the midst of it. And God was working in a phenomenal way even during the days of slavery. We need to somehow get beyond our little narrow black and white way of thinking and realize the mercy of Jesus, the power of the blood of Christ to work when things are messy. Of course God wants change. He's very patient waiting for us to change. He waited a long time for slavery to go, and we still have slavery today. He waited a long time for apartheid to go, and we still have a form of that, especially in India today. And when we think of hundreds of thousands of women sold into the sex slave industry, what can we say? So, yes, we battle on. We try to change those things. We're committed. We're radical. But at the same time, we rejoice in what God is doing. We become a little more patient. We become a little more big-hearted. 
we can stand against discouragement, stand against depression by having this bigger view of the way that God works in messy situations. We've just had this hundredth year thing about World War I. It's horrendous. I get ill even thinking about that war. And yet somehow God was working through those horrendous times. I walked a few months ago along the beaches where my own wife's father lost his life on the invasion of Normandy or a few days later. It was a grievous thing. I did a blog on it. It's on my website. And yet we know God was working. People are very negative about the church today. Wow, do people especially attack the American church? Article after article, book after book, attacking the church. Everybody's lukewarm. Everybody's a materialist. Everybody's this. You know, when a man gets saved in Texas, he's still a Texan. And if a Nigerian gets saved in Nigeria, they'll live in Texas, they're still a Nigerian. Their kids a little less, their grandkids a little less, and the next generation, who knows what in the world they'll be. Maybe president of the United States. Messiology. Pick up my little book. Read that chapter. My fourth word is really my favorite word. Sometimes my whole message is just based on this word, which you already know, grace. But I'd like to add the word radical, radical grace. Operation Mobilization, many doors closed to us, especially in the 60s, because we were known for radical discipleship. People didn't want radical discipleship. Distributing William McDonald's book, True Discipleship, then Peter Maiden's book on discipleship, and uh, praise God, other doors opened. And it was the emphasis on discipleship that, in a sense, helped mobilize so many people from British universities. And uh, some of you wouldn't be aware that, though I'm... American, the birthplace of OM, is here in Europe, especially here in Great Britain. I failed on this effort to evangelize Russia. I was taken by the secret police. They were going to give me all expenses, paid vacation, Siberia. They then decided after two more days of interrogation, I was smuggling Bibles, that I was a religious fanatic. That took me back to Austria, and there, in a day of prayer, God gave me the name Operation Mobilization. God gave me the vision for Britain and to leave Spain and live in London, and the rest is history. By the next summer, 200 people were on OM. By the next summer, 2,000. In those summers, they gave the word of God to 25 million people in Europe. And since then, 200,000 have served with Operation Mobilization around the world. Only eternity will tell the story. Because one woman prayed for an unlikely character, to say the least. So yes, I believe in radical discipleship. But we learned a hard way. That radical discipleship without radical grace is a dead-end street. We've got to take the whole of the Word of God. We've got to, even things like messiology, I'm amazed how many even Christian leaders, when I listen to them, and, and they're often so critical of other Christian leaders or other different little changes in theology that some people have, they don't grasp radical grace. The blood of Christ covers we're exhorted as Christians to let love cover. I wonder if there's someone that's upset you this week. Maybe you're having trouble forgiving someone. It might even be your own parents. Let it fly. If Corey Tin Boom can forgive those that murdered 
her own parents. And there are dozens of similar stories of radical grace and radical forgiveness. How can we hold on to some of these little petty things that maybe someone has done or someone has said that has hurt us and we feel rejected or we feel misunderstood? I was preaching at a key meeting in North London years ago. I'll never forget it because before I preached, they announced about tapes available. Now CDs, right? And the tape that was selling the most, i never forget this, was a message a few weeks before on rejection. It's normal to experience rejection. Have you experienced any this week? Maybe even in your own family? Sometimes in the church. Every church is imperfect. We're all trying to do more than we're really able to do. We can't meet everybody's need. We can't meet. Often, we can't meet one another's expectation. In the light of our limitations, in the light of radical grace, sometimes it's better just, just to lower your aim, lower your expectation. Some of you are putting yourself down because you had these high expectations about what you were going to do maybe when you were 17, and it hasn't happened. It's no big deal with God. His love for you is just as great. He's taking even more pictures. He's doing even a video now. Receive his love. Know the reality of radical grace. And then my fifth message, and my fifth word, is the word suffering. I wish I had a whole hour for that. I was in a church the whole hour. I think it was in Boise, Idaho, where my son has moved to, where my grandson's from, who now lives in Switzerland. And I was showing from 1 Peter, from James 1, from other passages, how trouble and heartaches and difficulties, it's normal. This is the way it is. This is the way it is. So we've got to learn how to handle it. Sometimes non-Christians are handling unbelievable problems better than some Christians. We've got to learn how to handle the disappointments, the mistakes, the problems. It's basic to God's great training program. Read those verses when you have the opportunity. We need, of course... We need to believe God for great things. We pray prayers. We want to see miracles. We want to see people saved. We want to see deliverance, all these things. But with it, we need that other side. There will be suffering. There will be suffering. And keep that in mind as you come Wednesday. And one of the, the best ways to pray on Wednesday is if it's a bit of suffering to get here. It is a pain traveling around. London, I have a freedom pass, of course, I go free. Just looking at the queues trying to buy a ticket is enough for me to lose my sanctification. And uh, so I got this freedom pass, you know. I feel like Moses at the Red Sea. I just come to Charing Cross. Boom. Whoa. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't work, but anyway. So I know it's not easy to come on a Wednesday night. You're busy people. You're working people. And if you don't come because you're tired, because I believe the average Christian in London needs more sleep, the Lord will bless you and your pillow. But don't stay back and do something stupid. Say, stay back and get some good Holy Ghost sleep so in the morning you rise up and win several people to Christ before lunchtime. That's what we need around London in these days. Yes, suffering is basic. I've had my heart broken so many times. We lost a ship the entire ship lost in a storm in the Beagle Channel. We lost four people in one accident in Yugoslavia. Four friends gone. 
And this week I get a phone call from South Africa, major road accident, another dear brother who is just checking out what OM is about. He's just killed a few days ago. I don't think I'll ever forget it because his last name is similar to mine. Mine's V-E-R-W-E-R. -E his is V-E-R-W-E-Y. And he's with Jesus. You can't serve him. You can't run in God's marathon race without your heart being broken many times. C.S. Lewis says you can't love anybody, even a pet, without eventually having your heart broken. But we are God's people. We are resilient. Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And then my sixth word is the word proactive. Proactive. We didn't even have that word when I was a teenager and went to Mexico. We talked about perseverance, pressing on. And that word proactive came in, now it's considered old-fashioned. I grabbed it. I grabbed it. Why? Proactive says to me, what I'm trying to do is going to be rough. It's going to be tough. I'm probably going to make some mistakes. I might even sin in the process. But I'm going to somehow do it anyway. And I pray you will be proactive about this outreach opportunity facing you here. Even if it's basically part of God's training program. You don't maybe see a lot happen in the coming weeks. But you get more Holy Spirit boldness. You get on your knees a little more. You experience being rejected by people. And you will be rejected by the streets in the streets of London. When I was here some weeks ago trying to get to Paddington Station, I almost never got there because I ran into this massive Palestinian uh, demonstration was going on right near here. And we need to somehow be really wise what we say as Christians about this Gaza crisis. One of the most complex things in the world today with believers on both sides. But we should be focusing on that, of course, in our praying and we are just trying to release funds for the Gaza situation even now, almost as I'm talking to you. So the word proactive is one of my favorite words. Would you embrace it? Would you make that decision? Some of you are getting a little older, thinking about retirement. There's no retirement program for kingdom people. <laughs> Dingle Dungle's Bank, yes, retire. You should have got out of there years ago. But... Uh, and, you know, we live in this culture. This culture has a retirement thing. I think technically I'm retired. I think my wife's getting some kind of money, uh, some kind of pension. I never see it, but she says she's getting it. It's not very much. These last 10 years have been as great as any years in my life. And so if, if you have to leave a particular job or you don't have a job for a while, don't get down. Don't think, oh, God's not heard my prayer. Why don't I have a job? Oh, I'm a second-class citizen. There's no second-class seats on God's Holy Ghost train. We're all going first class. And I believe with all my heart, we need to serve him right till our last breath. Of course, if we develop Alzheimer's, God understands that. If I find myself moving in that direction, I'm going to write a note. And after I have Alzheimer's, Anybody who comes to me, I'm just showing this note. You know, I had 76 years of fantastic life. So don't pity me as I'm in, the, I'm in the, the end of the race and I'm not really functioning so well anymore. 
I'll give you one of my bonus words. If you want an extra book or an extra CD or an extra film, I just thought of this bonus word. I didn't have it in the first service. Mystery. Mystery. The last few verses of Romans 11. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has understood God's ways? And that's, that's helped me so much. So many things I don't understand. I've been studying the stars. It blows my mind. The whole thing of astronomy. I've been studying a lot of other areas as I love to study. And there's so much mystery. The whole thing of sex. That's one of my things where I really get in trouble. Churches will not let George Verwer in because he speaks about sex. Yeah, not here. He's a liberated place. 500 verses in the Bible about sex. We get these people in America boasting they preach the whole counsel of God. They expound the whole of the word of God. I love to get these guys. I said, what did you do with this verse? Did you expound this one? Be thou satisfied with the breasts of the wife of thine youth. <coughs> he, did, he didn't get to that verse. He sort of missed that one. There's an element connected with sexuality that is a mystery. But one thing for sure, and this brings me to my final word. God forgives. I have sinned with my eyes too many times. But because of Jesus, I'm forgiven. We have this message. The world needs to hear it. Many churches don't have it. It's radical forgiveness. It's under the blood. It's gone. People say, wow. People will take advantage of that. That's the way life is. I think it was even Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones that says grace is risky. Of course, forgiveness, my final word, is tied in with radical grace. And I believe God is calling every one of us to suicide prevention. And there's suicide among God's people. Another major leader in America just took his own life. Wife and several kids. Leader of a major mission. Because he had committed some sexual sin with an underage person. He couldn't face you know, the shame of it took his own life. There was another case some years ago. A major leader in a major church, a young man in charge of all the young people, fell in the same way. When the newspapers got a hold, the police got involved, he took his own life. They didn't know radical grace and forgiveness. Embrace this word, and you will become part of God's suicide prevention squad. Because when people are contemplating suicide, and I had someone in my meeting a few weeks ago, and because of what she heard, she decided not to take her own life. She sent me an email about it. You will help people somehow get through that. The suicide rate in London is very, very sad indeed. It's often hushed up, and especially if it happens in a church or a Bible college or a Christian leader. But it does happen, and we need to realize Legalism, Phariseeism is still alive and well. Judgmentalism, which comes often in harshness and, and improper uh, behavior, has hurt a lot of people. Whole books now are written on this subject. We need, we need radical grace. We need to embrace forgiveness and make sure, make sure you forgive yourself. When I failed once in the woods with a pornographic magazine hanging in the tree, I felt so condemned. You know, when we fail as a Christian leader, even in a small way, what the world would call a small way in the sexual area, we really condemn ourselves. 
In fact, research has shown many young men decided not to go into ministry, not to go to the mission field because they couldn't get total, absolute victory in the area of lust, and so they just gave up. What an enormous mistake when, in fact, a high percentage of people who have served Jesus Christ across the world have struggled with that, in some cases, all of their lives. That research has only come out in the day when autobiographies and biographies are a little more real than 50 years ago. Brothers and sisters, this message comes from my heart. This message comes from 59 years every single day in the battle. I'm imperfect, I'm broken, I've failed, but I've stayed in the race. And if a character like me can somehow stay in the race right into these Holy Ghost senior years, nobody has an excuse. Everybody here, a marathon runner. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you. Lord, help us to take these seven radical, biblical, beautiful principles into the depth of our being. Bring to our minds maybe just certain points that we need to think about. Certain situations where we can, we can get something sorted out and enable us to be marathon runners Especially when we think of the fact that these unreached people from these unreached nations are now in London. Almost every one of these nations, they're here and we're sitting next to them on the underground. We're sitting next to them on the buses. We're passing them in the streets. Lord, you've given us one of the greatest missionary opportunities in the history of Great Britain to reach the more unreached places where still, in some cases, there are almost no missionaries. Help us to respond to this in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's continue in prayer. And I want to ask you, will you respond to this invitation to be a marathon runner by God's grace, laying hold of these seven principles, but to be specific, to also be involved in outreach in the coming weeks and hopefully the rest of your life. If God has spoken to you about this and you're willing to make some kind of commitment I want you just to raise your hand. I want to see you and pray for you. I'm not going to call you forward. There's not room. But I believe, you know, C.S. Lewis said we have the tendency to think but not to act. We have the tendency to feel but not to act. If we keep thinking and feeling without acting, someday we're unable to act. Don't let that happen to you, especially as you get older. And so I'm asking you to take a step of faith to be involved in outreach, either with a church or privately through your own uh, world that God has put you into. If you'll make that decision, combined with your commitment to be a long-distance runner for the kingdom, I want you to raise your hand. God bless you. God bless you. I wish I could shake hands with every one of you. I will at the door, in the balcony, anybody else. God sees it. It's a small thing. I learned this from an Indian evangelist, how God can use a small thing. It's an outward expression of an inward transaction. He sees your heart. He's taking your picture. He wants to use you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Raise your hand. I want to pray for you. God bless you. God bless you. Father, you see each person who has raised their hand. You know everything about them and you love them still. You're taking their picture. You have a tremendous plan for their life. And we believe this step of faith is a step in the right direction. We know the road will be rough. We know the road will be tough. 
We know there'll be twists and turns, but you're going to give them the grace to be your men, to be your women in the accomplishment of your great purposes across this world. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. God bless you.